Hello and welcome to another installment of Behind the Fourth Wall, the podcast where we discuss movies, TV shows, and everything else pop culture. My name is Ivan, and I'm once again joined by my esteemed co-host and extreme Avril Lavigne fan, Emmett. You know, I was a skater boy growing up. <laughs> I don't no. think I could name one of this song aside from that. No, that's all I had. And I wasn't a skater boy. I was I was a blade boy. I was uh, on on four wheels in line. Brink style. No skating at all? Like, no, never shredded on the board at all? Well, no, skating is different than skateboarding. Never skateboarding. No, I I wasn't a boarder. All right, fair enough. I had my time on it for a bit, but I feel like I didn't, obviously, didn't stick around. So, yeah, the physics behind it didn't make sense to me, and it was a little too dangerous for my liking. Put me on shoes with wheels. That's what I like. Yeah, I feel like my very brief time on a on a board was a like one or two years in my life where I thought I was like probably at my most reckless. <laughs> so you look cool doing it. I I thought I did. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got a pack news segment. Can we get into this? Yeah, yeah. Let's get on it. Why don't you? Um... I do want to start off before news. Uh, this is also news now, also corrections segment. Uh, a, a few weeks ago, I mentioned that the, the tiger beer featured in the first episode of Falcon Winter Soldier, uh, I said, I misspoke, I said Singapore. It's still, a, or no, I said Indonesia. It's from Singapore. I'm still getting it wrong. It's still a great beer, uh, but I did get that part wrong. We got to yeah. hold ourselves you know, accountable. We got to keep it real here. I gotta keep track of my <laughs> of my corrections, and I'm oh, pretty we've sure we've given up on yours. <laughs> <laughs> it's too long a list. Got that off my chest now. Let's get into it. So we're recording this a little bit later than usual. We usually do these on like Fridays, right after the episode. But uh, you know, we have lives, people. So this one's being recorded on Tuesday, the sixth. So we have a lot more news than usual. Last week was a huge, it was like Trailer City. There was like Suicide Squad, Black Widow dropped a trailer, Space Jam 2, obviously, Loki, The Bad Batch. Did any of these stick out to you in such a massive week of these? Uh, Probably the Loki and The Bad Batch trailer to me were probably the standouts. Um, I'll confess, I saw the Space Jam 2 trailer like really briefly, so I didn't I don't know if that one had, had let it simmer enough for me to to say anything on it, but Loki in particular is looking pretty good, although very weird. It's giving me WandaVision vibes. WandaVision like for a mar like a, a Marvel comparison, but it's giving me like the adjustment bureau vibes <laughs> that Matt <laughs> Damon movie. Uh, I kinda like the look of it too. It, it's like visually different. It looks like it is like a Guardians of the Galaxy outer space type of thing. Yeah, in in that sense, I think uh, that's what I meant. It kind of aligns from a WandaVision perspective. It seems like something outside of the norm. So, whereas, like, the current show we're going to talk about, um, it doesn't quite seem to be cookie-cutter Marvel. Um, So I'm I'm excited to see what it it brings. But uh, it, it it definitely you know for for something that has Owen Wilson in it, I didn't I didn't think I'd be like. I didn't think I'd see this much Owen Wilson in the trailer. We'll put it that way. I thought he was just going to be like a minor character. Yeah, it seems like he's going to be a big role in this, uh, like a tag team partner to Loki, which is going to be pretty funny. I feel like those two are going to play off each other really well. Yeah, I think so too. And I hope this sets us up for 
whatever else is next, what what they want to do with like the timeline thing, because it looks like that's the plot that they're picking up is the alterations to the time stream. Yeah, I I which is a major question we had coming out of Endgame that everyone kind of asked each other, what happens to Loki? He got away, and didn't we say that if you remove Infinity Stone, it would cause branches of reality? So it seems like they were prepared for that and and knew we would ask that question. So I like that this show is going to address that. Bad Batch was the next one that I think uh, kind of struck a chord with me. I it, I think it looks beautiful. Like it, the, Yeah, it looks visual. amazing. The visuals are stunning. It looks like an actual sequel to Clone Wars. There's elements in there that have me intrigued, and it looks like it's tying in with Mandalorian, I guess, in some sense, because you got Fennec Shand there. I, yeah, we see Fennec. We see possibly a girl clone child. Not really sure... We're going to need more details on that. But for anyone who isn't familiar with the Bad Batch, it's just like clones that had like accelerated in one portion of their training and became very specialized. So they made a unit out of them in that in the Clone Wars uh, cartoons animated series, uh, which can be viewed on Disney Plus. I highly recommend watching the whole thing. But if you want, just skipping to the season with the Bad Batch, because that's pretty much all you'll need to know for this one. But it it was a really good arc of that of that series. There, there was a lot to it, and I feel like um, visually, it seems like it's carrying on that legacy of, of Clone Wars, that little animation that's really evolved and seemed a little bit more fluid. I'm glad I didn't delve into the Rebels visuals because I feel like the Rebels cartoon looked a little too cartoony, whereas the Clone Wars, especially in the later seasons, it looked almost like paint, like a painting ask on some of those characters like you yeah. had waving hair and all that ah- ahsoka's was so good at the very end they, yeah they really did that really well that final season was amazing but yeah other than that we, we got another black widow trailer but to be honest like i didn't really see all that much it looked it. exactly like the first one just kind of like reorganized the the shots i actually thought the first trailer from a while back was better um that i thought the music choice in the first one was way better which made it more uh intense so yeah i i'm with you there i'm ready to just see that movie i don't need more trailers for it you can tell they're getting pretty much tired of you know showing <laughs> off anything with this movie because they're it's like all july right. though it's so so far away you know what's funny way back in april when the uh, april of last year when the pandemic really kicked into high gear here we were we were graced with the what was dubbed the final trailer to Black Widow, yeah. and with trailer number three. And since then, I feel like we've gotten at least five other versions. You can only build up hype for so long. You you can't keep us uh, in suspense over a year and uh, and expect us to have the same level of hype. It's long overdue. Like just, <laughs> I really wish that they just stuck to that May release window. But oh well. But uh, speaking of other movies, King Kong vs. Godzilla obviously came out. We have a pod uh, either coming out before this or after this. Uh, not sure on our release schedule, but we will have a pod devoted to that. We'll call it Podzilla. Uh, <laughs> but this is awesome to see that it, it did, uh, at the time we're recording this, two, almost 240, and two, 240 million in foreign markets, plus another about 50 million domestic Uh and the last, just for reference point, the last Godzilla only did 386 million in total before and end domestic. So this one's already at 280 in one weekend in a little bit, uh, which is awesome to see that maybe maybe people are more comfortable going out now. 
and I'm, I'm trying to find my source for this thing because uh, I, I saw a couple of articles mentioned that, um, you know, obviously, usually it's the major metro areas that are responsible for that big box office kick, especially on opening weekend. It looks like it's been Texas and some of the southern states that, that have been holding the fort down uh, with these numbers, which makes sense because those are the regions that you don't really see all that money uh, restrictions on theaters. So, right. uh, you know, I guess, you know, because of that, they're able to sell more screenings. But I saw that the opening day, it made about $9 million, which is pretty good considering that on a typical non-COVID day, when you release something on, I guess it was, thir- it would be Thursday evening, you were getting anywhere from 12 to $15 million for a highly successful movie. So $9 million is nothing to scoff at when it was released on a Wednesday. Yeah, it, it definitely has uh, a lot working against it from a pandemic standpoint. From Even if we're on the tail end of it or coming out of it, people are still not totally comfortable. And then, yeah, releasing it on Wednesday. Uh, so good to see some success back there. Uh, and I think this also has had uh, remor- a market impression or lasting effect on hbo max subscribers right yeah so between this and the justice league the snyder cut it looks like at&t has really really hit a good point here with hbo max uh as it's seemingly got a big boost in subscribers as a result of both of these projects and oddly enough i don't know if you noticed this but like as soon as uh, they confirmed all the details with Zack Snyder's Justice League. They pushed back Godzilla vs. Kong another week uh, in release, and then they pushed back Mortal Kombat down to the ending of April. It seems like they're playing it smart, and like if you subscribe to these, you're going to end up paying that full amount to stay on and watch all three of those movies, uh, whereas somebody probably, probably could have easily taken advantage of a free month of HBO Max before. Um, and just watch the Snyder Cut, Godzilla vs. Kong, and Mortal Kombat, as they would all have been released within a month's uh, window. They're going to be creating multiple email accounts <laughs> just to get there. Well, even if they did like a paid membership, I could see them just being like, okay, I'll just pay for a month or two, and then I'll cancel my subscription or something like that. True, yeah. I think they're hinging their bets on like they're hoping that they actually stick around. And that's why they were pushing back some of these release dates. But we'll see. I mean, like a lot of this data is also like very unreliable because you're relying on HBO Max to release their own numbers versus the traditional way where you have um, Nielsen data and all those others just kind of pub- you know publishing the info for anything that's live. So you know, I, I, you know, between Disney Plus and HBO Max, I'm pretty sure they're padding their numbers a little bit. But there's no denying that they definitely got a boost from these last couple of projects they've released. So good on them. Yeah. Good to see that. And then last thing I would say for news, uh, this fits more into pop culture than anything on the screen, but <laughs> I have to shout it out. You know, finally Dr. Disrespect is now being acknowledged as a New York times bestselling author of violence, speed, momentum, or VSM. If you're, uh, if you're in the champions club, which I, I was a proud member for a little over a year uh, before the switch to YouTube. So <laughs> I'm I'm like a little over halfway through the book. It's a really good read. It's it's very uh, it's it's satire. It's it's ironic. It, it's a really funny book. Uh, every every site that it's sold on has a five out of five rating. So 
you can tell that the his his fan club, the his watchers, the the champions club members are are going out strong on this one. Yeah, I was, I was surprised to see that they released his his memoir. I know, I think it was announced a little while back, right? But um, I completely forgot about it until you texted me about it last week. Yeah, he like teased it on his stream. Uh, and for people who don't know, Dr. Disrespect is a streamer who uh, used to work at Call of Duty, made a lot of maps, and then streamed on Twitch for a while. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he was his contract was cut and he was banned and they never told him why they never told the fans that nobody knows why he got uh, kicked out of Twitch. And then uh, he made a, a comeback onto YouTube streaming services. So it's uh, it's very interesting to watch. And I'm, I don't think they <laughs> tell us in the book cause I, I looked up reviews and all that stuff and nobody mentioned it. So uh, yeah, I think that's just going to be a one kept secret for the ages either that or it's good material for book two and three right (laughs) possibly (laughs) well i think that's about all we have for the news i don't know why i thought that's enough (laughs) (laughs) that's enough for that let's uh let's move into spoiler free general thoughts again we're talking about falcon and the winter soldier season one episode three yes did you happen to get a title for this one power broker right power broker yeah. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> Very straightforward and to the point. Yes. So, uh, general thoughts. I'll I'll kick it off if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, I think this is my favorite episode so far. <laughs> I'm very <laughs> excited to talk about this one. Uh, this week we re- they really pushed the the plot forward with some crucial backstories that we've been asking for, um, and they also put the foot down on the pedal with the action and the fighting sequences, which is kind of hard to top from some previous weeks, but they definitely do. Uh, and I like seeing some familiar faces come back to support this series and um, and also introduce some new faces and, and uh, give us some new characters to either root for or root against. Um, and of course, we have to mention that they also leave you with a really good cliffhanger, which I think is, is key for these series, uh, which makes it really hard for me to wait for the next week's episode i've rewatched this one a couple times already just because it's so good um and it doesn't feel like i have to rewatch it like i wanted to like i did with wandavision kind of so i really really like this one yeah i I, it might be my favorite one too i feel like it's it's another solid episode uh we got this was the episode for character development i think for a number of these characters i feel like we've been getting that for the last couple but uh in particular I think this one did a really good job of kind of giving us a little bit more insight into into Zemo and actually bringing him back into his comic book roots a little bit more, um, which kind of took me by surprise. I feel like we had some really good one-off moments between Zemo and and Sam and Zemo and um, uh, Bucky. So, and we also got the surprise return of a character that we haven't seen for a couple of movies now. And to be honest, I was kind of surprised for you pop back up uh in this in this manner so or he or he or he (laughs) (laughs) allegedly (laughs) yeah no i I do like seeing familiar faces come back for sure and um yeah i think we got less of like sam and bucky together and less of the new captain america which is uh interesting for this episode because it felt like 
we progressed the plot a lot, but we didn't really see the main the main uh, cast that much. Yeah, we got focused on them a little bit more in the last episode, which um, you know, for the we didn't get to see too much of um, Cap Two here, but it seems like it's it's definitely building up to a bit of a confrontation between our protagonist and him down the line. So we'll you know. I'm I'm excited. Like I said, this episode also ends on a cliffhanger, so it makes it hard <laughs> to to wait week over week. But I also feel like it also keeps my attention uh, at a pretty good pace. Yeah, we're halfway through, so they're moving the the show along pretty fast. But I think we can leave it there uh, and now get into some spoilers. So if you haven't seen it and you still plan to, uh, pause here and come back when you're ready. Otherwise, we're going to get into characters and scene breakdowns. So why don't we start with uh, Johnny Walker, Cap Cap 2.0. Johnny boy. <laughs> Since he wasn't really in it that much, I feel like we can knock him out pretty quickly. Uh, clearly feeling the pressure to show results since, uh, since he's trying so hard to uh, track down the Flag Smashers. And we also saw his, um, his sidekick or buddy, whatever, uh, Lamar, say that he and the CIA have tracked down all their leads and nothing's panned out and it'd be fine if they just kind of left it where it was. Uh, clearly John wants to do more than that. And he, he kind of stays on Sam and Bucky's trails. Yeah. This is the episode where I feel like we start to see the foundations crack a little bit on him too. Just very briefly. Mm -hmm. He's obviously very hot headed, um, but he's also somebody that seems to be tempered by his military training somewhat. Um, I think contrary to the relationship that Falcon had with uh, with Captain America, with Steve, it, it doesn't quite match the same vibe that John seems to have with, uh, with Lamar. I feel like Lamar is there to calm him down versus I feel like, you know, Falcon and, and original Cap kind of complemented each other. Uh, quite a bit. I feel like they were pretty good dynamic pairing, whereas these, I feel like one is dependent on the other for maybe something you shouldn't be dependent on somebody else for, you know? Yeah, Falcon definitely, like, enabled Steve, like, to break the law in some cases, but <laughs> I think the major difference between Steve Rogers and John Walker is that Steve did his press tour and then did a mission that nobody knew about, so his success or failure wouldn't have been as public or really as cared about. John did a press tour, and then basically everyone is now watching his career right now because he has such a big legacy to live up to. And if he fails his first mission, it's like, this guy can't be our new Captain America, right? Yeah, it seems like that's the vibe I'm getting off of him. It's like he's trying to desperately prove himself. But he's also showing those little signs of being a bit unhinged, like the tech kind of guy that's just like not maybe, you know, not the best uh, person to really keep himself level-headed <laughs> in situations. Uh, he, There was that scene where, and I think this is the only scene with them, right? When they I go in. Two, but the first scene, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's when they break into the place that we saw Carly Morgenthau and her Flag Smashers group the previous episode. I want to say it's like a call center, but yeah. Yeah, but but that's where they end up basically doing a raid on them, and it seems like uh, they obviously 
clear them out. There's nobody there. There's no trace that they were that they were there. But obviously, it's one of those things where they know. <laughs> um, nobody wants to give up any information. And Lamar brings up a pretty good point to uh, to John, which is basically like, hey, these people are essentially like freedom fighters. They're heroes to these people. So it, that inspires some kind of loyalty to them. So obviously, they're not going to give them up. Uh, which right. results in an interesting exchange between him and the, uh, I guess the leader of the, of that location. I'm, I don't know how how to kind of put that, but he um, got spit on. <laughs> yeah, he gets spit on. <laughs> which is like, yeah, he he wants to command respect and wants to be th- seen as a threat and be able to force people to give up answers. Uh, but this guy, this uh, call center leader or whatever we want to call him, spits in his face and doesn't receive any real punishment that we see for it uh so yeah it it is difficult to i don't know fight this guy because he is just trying to protect a group of people that are on a robin hood mission to steal from the rich and give back to the poor yeah it's tough so this i I found it really ironic because here's a guy supporting a group called the flag smashers uh, you know, being questioned and obviously interrogated by a guy literally wearing a flag as part of his getup. <laughs> yeah. So the irony is there, and it's also like I feel like the the very big visual separation between John Walker and someone like Steve Rogers was the last uniform you see Steve wearing on his shoulder is not the American flag; it's that Avengers A logo. And on on John Walker, you've got the American uh, flag. So I think you know. They're very contrary, and one is super focused on the needs of the American government, and the other one went a little bit rogue and just never really turned back on it. Because I feel like the whole plot with Steve in the in, in modern times was that he was very, very distrusting of the government. And so, but you know, John Walker's the polar opposite. He's like the guy that's championing them. Is there any like I guess doing that a little predictions now? But is there anything that we could? use from the comics to be like where we think this guy's going with it like how evil is he in the comics or are we just reading that on the show he's not like i I wouldn't call him necessarily evil evil but he's he's a bit unhinged he's a little bit like a like a punisher type you know like an anti-hero um similar to the punisher so he's basically Captain America, if he had no problem directly killing people, that just upset him. So I think if there's anything that's going to come out of this, I know that at some point it seems like we're building up to the point where he's going to lose it. and He's going to lose it on somebody, and he's going to end up doing something that's just, I think, A, going to be a PR nightmare, because as you stated before, he he started this whole uh, arc in this series with a big PR machine. So I think that whatever he does, the, the world's eyes on our, are on him and he's just going to do something that he can't walk back from yeah and his second scene second and last scene in this episode is him going to the prison where zemo was kept and broke out of and then he kind of makes a connection that sam and bucky were there the same day and he assumes that they got him out so now they're going to go quote unquote off the books with their mission and lamar's kind of trying to keep him in check and be like that's not really how we're supposed to do things. And then John Walker is like, uh, yeah, they're not going to care how we get results. They just want to see results. So I do see that unhinging happening. 
Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how he loses the shield, whether it is like PR pressure or if Sam and Bucky physically take it from him, since we do see them with it in the trailer. I think he's going to get canceled somewhere, <laughs> somewhere around episode four or five. He's going to do something, and then Twitter is going to cancel him, and he's going to have to surrender the shield over to, I don't know, somebody else. We'll hashtag it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's my prediction. It's possible. Let's uh, let's talk Flag Smashers. Uh, Carly is in this episode is definitely more on the acting side, which I love to see. Um, and and she delivers a few good monologues here, I think. Yeah, so I think there is an interesting little technical bit I want to point out here because I feel like it's I don't, it's it's something I've been debating with some of my friends offline too because we uh, I noticed this right off the cuff. There is, and I think the more the more prominent scene with her in it is the initial scene where we're introduced to her, I guess, subplot with uh, a mother type of figure. Like, I don't think it's her direct mother because it doesn't seem like that's. I want to say it's like a foster mother type of situation. Yeah, yeah, like or a mentor of some sort. Uh, but it was interesting to me that that scene was cut the way that it was, because if you notice when she's being told about um, her mother figure's situation and the fact that she's passing and and she should go be with her, you don't see who's talking to her at all um, for none of that sequence. And so she goes up the stairs and she kind of, you know, you're seeing her uh, basically at, at the bedside of her dying, um, mom i guess for lack of a better term but i kind of took that as a little bit of an awkward cut and i think that what happened there is they might have cut something like an actual subplot there um and you know here's here's my technical mind at work here (laughs) um the reason why i'm saying that is because that was all adr that whole sequence right so that that voiceover it was an awkward way of showing her get into that uh, plot point um, and I think that it might have had something to do with the fact that the show wasn't done filming um, before COVID really hit so it could be that their plans had to change it so they had to scrap a subplot from it uh, yeah I mean it's possible and I don't really know if that has a major impact on the storyline uh, I I heard the same voice as the guy she had a, converse, a full conversation with maybe that's just my untrained ear <laughs> but either way yeah i i don't know if that really makes a huge difference on the plot do you the one thing or the reason why i kind of think that the, this though is the fact that they went ahead and cast somebody um who's actually kind of prominent uh of an actress and it just seems like a waste to just cast her just to have her die and have no dialogue at all who's the prominent actress it is uh, Veronica Falcone, who is actually a pretty big deal <laughs> as a um, Mexican soap star. So that's why I'm like, okay, I, th- I think, and given the fact that I, I know her rate kind of commands a big price, especially I think she started popping up in more American films lately, but I don't think some Marvel would hire somebody just to, sit there and die without having any lines of dialogue i don't know it just it it seemed a little odd to me yeah i mean they're definitely in this episode i think one thing we should address too is that 
there was definitely a lot of like trending negative critique on Carly's character and the Flag Smashers in general because they're supposedly a peaceful group looking to, you know, like I said before, this Robin Hood mission of stealing medical supplies that are being kept in warehouses and given to the people who had originally survived the blip and are now being seen as like invisible in, in preference to the people who are returning from the blip. So it's not a hard, like the Lamar character says to Cap, it's not a hard, you know, mission to support or, or uh, like a mission statement to support. And then a lot of the critique is that uh, they, they automatically, they, they turn into this like violent group at the end here where Carly blows up the, the, the storehouse that still has uh, security people in there and also more supplies. I don't think they took all of it. And they're kind of comparing it to like a Killmonger character who wanted to push for equality of oppressed black people across the globe, but then chose a violent path to do it. So it maybe there was a, a bit cut out of this that could have explained it a little bit better. To me, I personally just read it as like the death of her mother figure uh, just drove her to be a little bit more unstable and, and a little bit more violent that she needs to, you know, lash out. Yeah, I it definitely is that. I just feel like there probably was more to it because I don't think you lay that out, that 180 of a character. You, you, I don't think a character takes that big of a turn without demonstrating the full value of that person because otherwise like this is a person you're just meeting now and getting killed off in the same episode (laughs) you're meeting without any dialogue without anything else so it just like i feel like the impact would have been better understood if we would have gotten that storyline fleshed out a bit more yeah and and there's still three episodes so it it might be premature for the twitter audience to be like this is a terrible group (laughs) or this is like classic Marvel villainy where they say they're one thing and then they act a different way. And yeah, maybe in this snapshot, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but we're also watching one episode where we don't know what happens in the next three. The, the main characters of this episode, uh, Bucky Falcon, uh, Zemo, and then the surprise character of Sharon, Shannon, Sharon, Sharon, Shannon, is it Shannon? No, it's Sharon. I was uh, surprised to see her in the way that we saw her, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, she's a totally different character now after, what's it been, seven years on, on the run? That's what happens when you try to pal around with Steve Rogers. That's what you get. <laughs> yeah, I like that Like Steve rounded up all of his buddies at the end of uh, <laughs> Civil War, but left Sharon off the list. <laughs> That that's that's a pretty brutal outcome too, though. Like, and uh, we don't know if she blipped or not. No, I don't think she. I I think she stayed. I think she stayed too, which made it even worse because, like, for the last five years, Steve didn't bother to go, you know, check on her or figure out what what happened to her. Like, it's a little messed up. He was busy leading group therapy sessions. (laughs) You're so self-indulgent. I mean, come on! It's 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 Sharon. She stole your shield for you, man. Like, go back for her. And stole his heart. Oh, temporarily, until like Peggy until, snatched it right back. Until he went for her aunt. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's still such a weird dynamic now. Yeah. But this episode for these guys begins with visiting Zemo in prison. Zemo tries to recite the old words to Bucky, but he doesn't get phased by it. And then Bucky aids Zemo in a breakout that he fills in Sam about through a hypothetical scenario. I love that whole sequence that by the time he's finished explaining to him the plan, Zemo's already done it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I this episode make me made me um really appreciate Zemo as a character overall. He's like I forgot no. how smart he was. I'm not into him. <laughs> You're not into him? I I thought no. this was a really good showing showcase of him. I'm just waiting for the betrayal. Oh yeah, that's definitely coming down the line. I just think that as as a character, I feel like he was a lot more rounded out this time. But why is he such a like good fighter? I mean, like I'm sure that's probably it in the in the comic books, but he had no evidence of being a fighter in what was it, Civil War? Yeah, he was. Umbra, they 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 said he was part of the Sokovian um, kill squad that feels like oh. covert ops. Yeah, uh, him hold in a picture holding a gun. That doesn't make you a fighter. <laughs> but he was a covert ops person. <laughs> okay, he was quiet about it. <laughs> a little fun fact, though, from him. Like, he spilled a lot of his um, character essence, I guess, or, like, some of the more... the makeup of his character. Stuff that we hadn't... we knew from the comics, but obviously never got any context on in the, in the MCU. Uh, but the fact that he's royalty, the fact that he's a baron, like, that came out of nowhere here. Um, whereas in the comics, it's well established what he is, right? But I feel like we did, I didn't get any indication that he was a Baron when we got introduced to him in Civil War. No, none of that was there. I, I thought I he was just like a, a somebody from like the middle class or, or below because of the way he described his uh, family dying in Sokovia. I, I'm trying to think back. I don't think there were any real clues other than maybe that like, that the fighting was going on in the city and he thought that his... But, like, you would have to know that uh, his mansion would be on the outskirts of the city. His palace was literally in the middle of Sokovia, so <laughs> it's a, the one thing that... Because, like, if you look at Sokovia and the setup of it, it you, you can't tell that anybody with any sort of privilege lives in there, right? Because, like, the whole city was designed to kind of be representative of almost as, like this slum urban area. Yeah, so it was very difficult to know that he would have been royal, that they were setting up that arc of his character, so I don't think they actually were. Uh, but it is cool to see that they bring in a lot of the comic book references. Like Madripoor was a really, really nice little deep cut here. So the city of Madripoor is closely tied to Wolverine because that's where he goes to become a bounty hunter before he meets the X-Men. Um, but there is um, the character Selby, from this show is actually a mutant in the comics. So it's, it's a, it's, it's a male mutant in the comics who is basically a broker of information. So he helps mutants find new identities, kind of ships them off, obviously illegally. Right. But, um, it was funny to see that, um, relayed here, but Selby's now a woman. And I don't think there's any like indication that they're mutants there, but, it's like the the use of of Madripoor itself is like 
in the anybody who's who's super into the X Men, you know what Madripoor is because you you know the stories set there so many times. Um, it's it's a clear call out to the X Men, without actually giving you <laughs> any more than that. Well, Sam's character was also the one that he uh, pretends to be is the role of Smiling Tiger, which was also a, in the limited research I did was also a mutant, right? I think he was. Um, I think he was covered in fur and, <laughs> and was also a mute. He could. But, he probably was. Um, I think they gave him like some different liberties to play a, a slightly different role since it doesn't seem like they're comfortable in bringing in mutants quite yet. Yeah, no, I feel like they're just sprinkling stuff in right now, and at some point they may tie it back. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if we could, if we revisit Madripoor sometime down the line and, like, surprise, mutants were here the whole time or something like that. Like, But that seems to be, like, the the way that they kind of play this out. Like, when was it that we got the reference to Wakanda? It was way back in Age of Ultron, right? I think that's the earliest it was. That was where Bruce was, like, mispronouncing it. Wakanada? Wakanada, yeah. The guy with eight PhDs or whatever it is. <laughs> and it took us how many movies to get to Wakanda from there? Like, that, that was a long wait. Um, no, it was... Oh, wait, I don't know. I've been watching the movies in their timeline, so I don't remember the phases. I think it was, was Age of Ultron. Age of Ultron was phase two. I think Black Panther was phase three, obviously. Yep. So, yeah, it was like a year or so after that we saw it. But uh, I really like the Madripoor sequence. Bucky back in the Winter Soldier uh, disguise or persona. He breaks rule number two a lot <laughs> by not hurting people. He he takes everyone out in the bar. Um, in, in his defenses, we're all probably like contraband artists or, you know. What are you saying? They deserved it? Yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> right. Your words. <laughs> no, he uh, he did kick some butt in that bar, which was cool to see uh, as far as action-wise goes. Sam played the role of Smiling Tiger pretty well by downing a shot with a snake's heart in it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, they had that really good exchange with Selmy, or Selby, what is her name? Selby. Selby, I was testing you. <laughs> uh, and then... They get into a real big gunfight, trying to break their way out, and that's when Sharon comes onto the scene and takes them back to her penthouse. Seems like she wasn't living that hard of a life in her exile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she went full criminal. <laughs> no hesitation. Yeah. She was like, yeah, if I'm going to be living a uh, criminal, or what was it? The lifestyle of a person on the run, I might as well live it up. And she's living in Hightown, dealing uh, dealing art on the black market. So, good for her. She's done really well for herself, for somebody who's been on the run. So, Yeah, and thankfully, uh, she has a, she's a bomb party, because we get to see Zemo dancing. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That entire sequence has been, like, memed. Yeah, the moment I saw him dancing, I was like, oh, this is it. This is going to blow up. This is uh, <laughs> as bad as Toby dancing. In uh, Spider-Man Three, <laughs> yeah, they, they really kind of stressed the whole um, dynamic that they had going on there between Zemo and Falcon and, and Bucky. Um, so we got a lot more out of Zemo in this one episode than we did in 
Civil War in its entirety. And by that, I mean, like, dialogue. Yeah, it, and it's also very hard to, because we don't know him that well, it's very hard to tell when he is playing into the role that they want him to be and what his ultimate, um, I guess, purpose or plan is. Because it doesn't seem like it is what he's giving us on face value. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm, I'm sure he's dead set on stopping the super, super soldier serum from spreading, but he's definitely got ulterior motives aside from that. Like, he... He's he's definitely gonna cut loose at some point. <laughs> yeah. So the the Madripoor bit continues at Doctor Nagel's facility, who is the one who was using Isaiah's blood sample to uh, recreate the super soldier serum, and he was doing that under Hydra's hire before the blip. Then he was blipped away, and obviously the program was shut down after that point. So then he took it to the person that they're calling the power broker, uh, who the episode is named after, and basically created 20 vials of this, if we trust him. And Carly, the Flag Smasher group, took all of them. Minus the ones that he had in that lab, apparently. But the lab blew up, so. Well, I wonder if somebody snuck a few out of there. And by somebody, I mean like a certain masked rich baron that's part of the group now you think he took a few yeah i wouldn't put it past him i mean the guy disappeared (laughs) right before the explosion so yeah it is true because they did make a point to say anybody sees zemo yeah he he, he did come back for them though In in that regard he's got i was surprised to see that yeah i thought he was gonna leave at that point like never to return but I think he knows he still needs their help uh, to do whatever the next portion of his plan is before he can separate and, and do his own thing. Yeah, I think he's 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 kind of laid out to be a pretty smart um, guy here in this episode. And I think that, you know, they give him some of the best lines, I think, in, in this show so far. Um, so I, I, I want, I'm curious to see what his ultimate plan is. Like, I don't think, like you said, I don't think it's just, um, something that's fundamentally everything that he says at face value. I think, uh, I'm not entirely sure what exactly he wants out of this whole thing. Yeah. That's going to be interesting to watch to see what happens, but I like Dr. Nagel's character in this. Uh, I, I think the point of the character, I don't know. I don't really care about the guy. He was only on screen for a couple minutes, but I like that they were able to give us a clear history on how this serum came about, what its effects are. Like, it's not going to amplify people's physical traits, but it it uh, dials them up inside so that they're super strong, but they don't have to show it. Uh, so these soldiers could be anywhere. Uh, and I thought that was really good to just give us a little bit of, like, progress the plot forward without having to, like, drag it out you know yeah he also revealed a couple cool little points here and that's the fact that the, that original serum buffed up steve and it seems like it also buffed up um isaiah right because like he had a pretty um big build to him but he made a point to say that the new version of the serum doesn't do that but still contains the benefits of the old one there was a line in that first captain america movie when the general played by Tommy Lee Jones is talking to 
the um, God, I forgot his the, the doctor's name, the guy who created this the first serum, Erickson, yeah. And he says something to Steve about how it doesn't really matter how physically fit you are, like that's not what qualifies you to be to take the serum, but rather who you are as a person. And he drops this line about how the serum amplifies everything you are, but most especially your personality. So, like, that's why Steve was a perfect candidate for it. I wonder then, like, that we were talking about Carly early in the episode turning violent. Like, is that is that her nature just being amplified forward, you know? like, And if somebody, let's say, and I'm just speculating here, but if somebody like um, John Walker would, would were to take that serum, would that amplify that unstableness that they have? Yeah, that's a very good point. I didn't really think about that, but I, I know the exact line that you're talking about in uh, the first Captain America movie, how it like, turns a good man great or a bad man evil. So yeah, it definitely could be that maybe it's not like Red Skull level of instant evil, but maybe it's more like your reactions to situations are amplified. So, like, for Carly, seeing her mother figure die puts her on edge and and makes her lash out. Or if, like, John Walker, who we think is under the serum, if he's under a lot of pressure, maybe he starts doing irrational actions. Yeah. Or maybe he's not under the serum yet, but at some point he will take it because of... I feel like he's already got it in him. It could be like I, I I want him to have it already, and that that kind of explains away why this seemingly really great guy turns into that, you know. Um, but who knows? We'll we'll see how it kind of plays out. But I feel like that line ties in really neatly to what Zemo says on the plane earlier in the episode, where he's talking about how it's easy to take somebody like Captain America and put him on the pedestal, and you kind of forget his flaws and you kind of forget the um, imperfections of that person. So you, you start to kind of forget him. Um, it, it, it just kind of echoes some of that um, line that we see John Walker on right now, because, you know, as you mentioned that PR push earlier on, they made a really good point in last week's episode about how like they're really putting the weight of, I guess, America, <laughs> you know, on this dude's shoulders. And so, they're trying to view or trying to make a new new world Captain America with all the perfections of it. They're, they're probably turning a blind eye as to the reasons why he probably shouldn't be on that pedestal. Yeah. Zemo has a lot of great lines here. I kind of forgot about that exchange on the airplane, but he does kind of push the boundaries a little bit with both of both Falcon and Bucky on the plane. Yeah. He's a definite troll, <laughs> but he's also like not wrong. Like, you you can put these heroes on a pedestal and ignore their faults, but that's super dangerous thinking because then they start to steer into it that they are all good or or perfect, and even if they do something wrong, everyone will just immediately automatically forgive them for it, and that's what his character was trying to do in the in Civil War was take them down a peg by being like, no, you have to be held accountable for everything. Yeah, I saw this, um, well, I was having this discussion with somebody about how, like, it kind of brings back or echoes back to Civil War a lot, about how both Captain Captain America and Iron Man were on the right track of thinking, right? Like, 
in the beginning of that movie, Tony's really, really captivated by the story of the mom that lost her kid in Sokovia. And so he, like, brings it upon himself to say, like, I don't want that to ever happen again. And so with that, he wants to put checks and accountability in place. And I think once um, that's presented in the form of the, of the government doing it, then Steve, having experienced the stuff he did in, in Winter Soldier, knows that that's probably not the best bet. And so it kind of put them at, at odds with each other. And it's 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 funny how all this stuff is just kind of echoing all the way up to here because like this show is very much a, a result of the consequences that both of them made back in the day. Like you still have that shadow of um, of Sokovia there. You still have the accords in play, um, and so it kind of helped facilitate this world exactly the world that Tony wanted to avoid <laughs> throughout the whole um, series. Yeah, and it also harkens back to that movie a lot with trusting you know your partner enough that you're willing to work outside the law like uh falcon did that with steve that um that bucky wasn't the bad guy that he was made out to be and then they went against the law on that one and in this episode alone uh bucky says that to falcon like you did this once before i just need you to trust me again on this one that like we have to stop this and this is the way we have to go about doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And like Walker, John Walker is kind of a reflection of what the Avengers were going to be under the Accords under general Ross. Um, and then I think Falcon and, and, and Bucky are taking on that rebellious streak of Captain America kind of working outside the, the law there. So it's kind of like a sneak peek at the world that would have created if, um, you know, things kind of played out a little bit differently. Yeah, and then uh, this episode ends with a really good cliffhanger where A.O. from Wakanda comes back. Not, Not a boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was a, a mistrending, uh, <laughs> a mistake on trending on Twitter on that one. So get it right, people. Yeah, I, <laughs> I honestly I was a little bit surprised that people were like, "Oh, that's Okoye." I was like, "Oh, no, <laughs> she's I, missing the tattoos on top of her head. She's uh, definitely not." I think the actress is a little bit recognizable now too for Okoye. Yeah, I want to hope that it's like people aren't familiar with the names and remembered one name and just went with it and then saw it trending and they're like, "Yeah, that has to be the right name." Uh. And not that, assuming that the people that these two characters look alike. <laughs> yeah, not, a, not every just bald, not every bald black woman looks the same. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, but I think although, that's how trending works on Twitter. It's like a couple idiots at the beginning get it wrong, and then everyone else is like, <laughs> "I'm not going to do the research." So sure, I'll just hop on this trend. Yeah, it's like uh, when Restore the Snyderverse was trending last week. Somebody was, uh, I guess somebody misspelled it, and so you kind of get it retweeted from there. So it, for a little They're while, always there. misspelled too. And yeah, <laughs> and then they try and correct it, and then like the corrected one's not trending as much. <laughs> it's it just an inescapable train at that point. But Wakanda is definitely keeping track on Zemo and has tracked him back to here, and that's the final line of the episode: is that they want Zemo back. Uh, it's going to be interesting start to next episode to see how Bucky pleads for more time yeah i don't so an interesting little thing but apparently according to the director of of this um series they were saying that 
episode five is going to have a surprise cameo for the fans and that it's going to quote break our hearts so it started internet speculation last week <laughs> I, i'm not gonna like put any stock into anything but i do feel like we can't really talk about wakanda without addressing the situation with chadwick boseman and the untimely passing of him did they film anything for this with him well, that's what I was kind of going with this. Like, did they even have time? Because some people were pointing out, like, oh, this has got to be Black Panther because we're going to get our hearts broken. I was like, I I don't know if they would have been able to film anything with him. Mm, right? I feel like it's not going to be him. I don't think it's going to be him either. But I guess it's because we have Ao uh, popping up at the end of this episode that people are like, oh, it's got to be Black Panther timed. Um, and it, it could be. I mean, they could... I, I feel like they probably should address because they're you know if they're not going to recast the characters clearly they're going to kill him off off screen but I feel like they should address that in his own movie and not have it kind of condensed in this one series. No, that would be yeah, that would be poor taste to devote ten minutes to it in a one fifty minute episode. Yeah, so I I don't know I I kind of think that we might get like a Steve cameo here. At some point, like old Steve. Yeah, that's probably it. Like Joe Biden, Steve. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought he was going to be in this anyway, so I wouldn't be surprised. Do you think that's the role that they um? Well, remember, like about a couple months ago, they were saying that um, Chris Evans is in talks to return to to reprise the role. Do you think yeah. this is what they're talking about? It's this, or he's coming back in like Loki, in the young Steve form. In one of those alternate timelines. Or in the Multiverse of Madness with Doctor Strange 2. Right. I think there's there's a lot of opportunities for him to come back. So I don't know if it is going to be him in, as old Steve in this one. It could just be... Um, gosh, I'm terrible with actors' names. But it could be the Princess of Wakanda. Oh, Shuri. Yeah, I mean, because isn't she supposed to take up the mantle in the comics? She does. I I think that's a whole other conversation, but I feel like they're probably not going to go that route just yet. Um, no, I don't think she'll already be the Black Panther, but I think it might just be, like, her. Oh, yeah, like, she's the cameo, and... I don't know why it would break your hearts. It could be... That could be another, like, throw-you-off-the-scent type of thing, like when Paul Bettany said that he worked alongside an A-list actor that he's always wanted to. And then it turned out that it was him. Like, <laughs> yeah, I I think it could just be trolling us. Um, yeah, I feel like without reading too much into it, it might like you you could be right. Like it could be a Shuri cameo, and the reason why it would break our hearts is because it would remind you of you know Black right. Panther and all right. that. So, but I I don't know. I mean, I don't I can't really think of anything that would be too much of a maybe break a, king, your a, a, a King T'Chaka flashback or something like that in the. Yeah. In the afterworld. Like, it could literally be anything. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be Chadwick. I think it's probably too soon for that. And it's also like, um, it's bad taste to do like a five, ten minute bit in one 50 minute episode of a I six think, part series. Yeah. I, I think it, it would be great and it might work if they actually shot something with him and that's what they want to release. Then great. But if they didn't, and this is just kind of like somebody that we met in the Black Panther movie showing up and being like, oh, you know, T'Challa's dead. I don't think that would be the right approach to it, right? But 
we'll, right. we'll, you know, we'll see what what kind of comes out of it. Um, but it, I, I just did find it interesting that <laughs> I feel like every Marvel show is going to have that. Like they're going to have a director commenting as, as to like having their own Luke Skywalker moment. Yeah, you know, so they have to hype it up, and I get that. I'm just going to be cautious with buying into that stuff. Yeah, yeah, moving forward <laughs> for sure. So let's uh, let's wrap this up here with uh, any big predictions that we have for it. Uh, is there anything that you're starting to formulate, starting to think about now that we're halfway through? So I think that we are definitely going to see Sam take back the shield before the final episode. I think you were right on that a couple episodes ago when we were talking about where we thought the series was going to go. I do think that we'll see some sort of confrontation between uh, Bucky, Sam, and John Walker probably in the next episode, or even the one after. I don't know. I, but I did, that's that's my only prediction. Is like I know at some point um, in this series we'll probably see similar to Wanda, we'll see Falcon come out with that Captain America costume, and it's gonna be great. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think we will get that same type of re- reveal there. I have two that I'm working on. I don't know how much stock I actually put into him, but the line that sticks out to me in this episode is Zemo's on the second trip on the airplane. when he says, I, for one, am looking forward to meeting Carly. On surface value, his character is is trying to end the super soldier serum. So you would immediately read that as he's looking forward to, like, killing her. like he did with the other super soldiers in Siberia. But I kind of get the feeling, since we're leaning towards him leading some sort of revolutionary situation, I kind of feel like he's going to, that's when he's going to make his betrayal on Falcon and Bucky. And they clearly need leaders, like the Flag Smashers clearly need leadership, and I feel like he might be one to do so. Yeah, I picture him as the type to probably take over that group of anything. Or at least their resources, or somehow leverage us into a deal with the power broker, or something like that. Maybe he's going to use Carly as um, some sort of like bargain chip, bargaining chip with the power broker, since the power broker wants her. So the power broker is the main villain of the show, right? It's got to we... be. Which is like the it's always the villain in the shadows, like Agatha was in. WandaVision. And people are speculating whether that's Sh- Shannon, Shannon. <laughs> whether that's going to be Sharon or not because she had that one really weird scene where after she parts ways with Bucky and Sam she gets in this car and tells an associate of hers which seems to be her driver that they have a few problems that they're going to have to deal with. Do you think she is the power broker? Is she working for the power broker? Mm. I don't know. I don't think she's the power broker but Maybe that'd be that would be interesting. Yeah, I mean, like we've got, we do. There is a power broker character in the comics, but I just he's too obscure to bring into the show and say he's going to play a prominent role. I gotta think that the power broker is somebody we already know. I mean, she is brokering deals on the art, so maybe. That's true. That's true. And then her sneaking around and put putting uh, Bucky and Sam discreetly into the position they needed to be to find the doctor may have been just like a, like a, I guess like her being undercover, like keeping her cover a secret there. Um, the other thing too, like Zemo mentioned, he knows the power broker, but only through reputation. So right. he's never seen the, the right. character, 
which might be might lend credence to that she might be or again it might be a red herring similar to a lot of the stuff we saw on WandaVision yeah and what is she doing in Lowtown if she's a broker in Hightown yeah I don't know there's definitely something going on with her maybe she's like deep deep undercover and she's still working for the CIA too who knows I don't know you're selling me on the her being the power broker She's definitely the power broker. <laughs> I'm into it. I, I I could see that, and then it leading back to her. But I don't know what that would mean for them, like Falcon and Bucky having to stop her, or do they not? Uh, yeah, that that's where I kind of fall into. Like maybe she's not, but she's working for the power broker. I I, I don't think that the power broker as a character is going to end up being just that. The power broker from the comics. I feel like. It's got to be somebody of more um, importance. Yeah. That's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, the second thing I was thinking about, too, for predictions is probably Mephisto. more... Mephisto. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> uh, no, I think AO is going to join this crew. I hope that, so. That's like the only condition that uh, that they can agree on for keeping Zemo out of jail. I think it's going to be like, well, then I have to be part of this and keep a closer watch. I hope so. She is, she could be part of my group anytime. <laughs> she, is, uh, she does kick butt. She does. She can dominate me anytime. She... <laughs> oh, okay. <All> <laughs> that scene from what, uh, no, from civil war was really good between her and, and black widow. They didn't even do anything. <laughs> She's just like, move, or you will be moved. And I was like, oh, oh. She would have okay. lost that fight. Who, AO? Yeah. Maybe. She doesn't but... have enough plot armor. That's true, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> She's trying to get some right now, though. Yeah, she gained a little bit of a boost here. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, let's uh, let's end it there. If, uh, if you have any of your own predictions out there, and you want to uh, shoot them over to us, uh, or if you want to just share your general thoughts on the show so far, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at BTFourthWall, 4 being 4th. Otherwise, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. <laughs>